Seven Point Highlander podcast. We're a new podcast that has started because we want to introduce the world to our great local magic format, which is the Australian Highlander format, also called Seven Point Highlander. My name is Amelia, also known as Millie, and joining me today is Sav. Yep, that's me, Sav McClinton. Everyone calls me Sav. And Vance. Hey, I'm Andrew Vance, although nearly everyone in the magic community calls me Vance. I'm a member of the committee. And we'll explain what the committee means in just a moment. As this is our first episode, we wanted to take some time to actually introduce the format to you. A lot of the people who will be listening to this will be familiar with it, but we wanted to create a really good starting out point or a jumping on point for getting to know about Seven Point Highlander. So as someone who, as you said, is on the committee, the mysterious committee, and again, we'll explain that later. Vance, could you give a little bit of an introduction to the format? Sure. So Highlander is a competitive vintage variant magic format, singleton with a points list. Magic, I hope you know what it is. If you don't know what magic is, you're going to have a confusing time listening to this podcast. I think we're all going into this kind of assuming that if you're listening to this magic podcast, you're already somewhat invested in a kind of magic scene. Well, let's hope so. So Vintage is an existing magic format where you can play basically every card that's ever been printed. So it's a very high-powered format. Highland is a variant of that where you're only allowed to play one of each card other than basic land, uh, which is the singleton part. And the other thing that differentiates us from some other Highlander-type formats is, well, we're 60 cards, whereas a lot of them are 100 cards. You get to play with a sideboard. And we have what we refer to as a points list. And the points list is a list of a lot of really the most powerful cards ever printed for the most part. So things like Ancestral Recall or the original Moxes or Chase the Mind Sculptor. And you get to play seven points worth of these. And so we have a list where Ancestral Recall is worth four, Snapcaster Mage is worth one, most cards are worth zero. And yeah, you build a deck under those restrictions and it's a real blast to play. I love it personally. Alrighty. Um, it just occurs to me that I forgot the introduce ourselves part. We kind of we kind of skipped through that. Did we want to do that if you, now? Yeah, if or we do introduce we want to ourselves now, do it again we can later, always, or... uh, in post-production, edit this into earlier in the video. But if you're listening to this, then you probably, <laughs> we probably didn't do that. It might not have <laughs> happened. The magic of post-production. Alrighty, uh, let's let's do a little bit of a roundtable. So that was a very quick overview of the format, and we'll we'll get back to that in just a moment. Uh, Sav, did you want to tell us a little bit sure, about yourself? Well, I'm Sav McClinton, and I am the host of the Adelaide Eternal team. So we do coverage for events similar to uh, the ones that you are familiar with, Vintage Legacy, and the number one, my most favourite format is Highlander. So I got into Highlander relatively recently, only in the last few years, but I have been playing since Stronghold. And I actually started Highlander with a deck that's quite different from what I play now. I played with junk. I guess that's probably not the best way to say it. But I played with uh, with some yeah Abzan, Abzan. Uh, and then I started to get the joys of blue. And once I started seeing all these awesome wow. blue pointed cards, which we'll talk about in a second, I was hooked. And now I just can't stop playing blue. But outside of that, I too do try and attempt to brew decks that are not blue, and many of them work well, and some of them end up on the cutting room floor. Excellent, cool. Vance. Do you want to give us a little bit more about yourself? Hi, my name's Andrew Vance. I'm from Canberra. I've been playing Highlander since roughly it started, which is approximately when Mirage came out in 97 or something. Oh, wow. Okay. This format is a lot older than I knew it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the older... Like, it's lasted for ages. It's been played in Canberra continuously that whole time. It 
was picked up in Melbourne in about 2000 or 2001, I think. But yeah, so I've been playing for nearly all of that time. I mostly can be seen in Highlander turning some kind of Kurt 8 sideways. <laughs> and I'm on the committee, which we'll talk about in a little while. Excellent. And I'll just give a quick little info drop about myself. So as I said, my name is Amelia or Millie. I will be going by Millie on this podcast because Amelia is a strange long name to me. (laughs) I am a level two magic judge from Melbourne and I have been playing since Theros. So I think I've been, I'm the most recent player here on this podcast. I started playing competitively about a year after that. So it took me a while to get the swing of it. And then I've only been playing Highlander since GP Sydney in 2017. So I'm very fresh to the format, but I found it very exciting. I got loaned a blue-black good stuff deck from a friend and went on a bit of a tear with it. Didn't win the event, but I came fourth, which I was pretty happy with and just had an absolute blast. Every game felt very different. So I'm really excited to... uh, get into the format a little bit deeper a whole lot better than my early highlander experiences and finishes <laughs> getting fourth on the first one <laughs> very good highlander is one of those formats that is super exciting to start and sometimes people are daunted by it because there's so many different cards but then when you start playing you realize how addictive and how exciting it is and then you go oh now i want to perform well and that's what i felt as well it just uh, uh, my start was a bit rocky though <laughs> Yeah, I did have the advantage of basically being handed a tournament winning deck to have a play with. So the sheer power level was there and then the rest of it was trying to pick up as much about the format as I could as it went. But that was where I haven't played any vintage, but I have watched a lot of vintage, particularly while judging. And the similarities meant that that was a bit of an entry level to the meta of the format, which isn't exactly the same, but I I think there there are some similarities between the older formats and and Highlander. There definitely are. One of the beautiful things about Highlander is you get to see all the really cool, stupidly powerful decks that get played in Vintage. So like (laughs) things like Storm. Storm's a great deck in Highlander. But you also get to play some decks that aren't close to good enough in Vintage. So things like Zoo, which in most Vintage tournaments you'd be laughed out of the room. (laughs) Perfectly viable because, uh, and this comes back to the sort of the beauty of the points list, where because so ancestral recalls four points that's an amazing card obviously but it's four of your seven total points you get to play so another option is that you might play well if you're playing a blue deck you might play dig through time at two and treasure cruise and snapcaster at one each and you've got a different angle of attack that's a lot cheaper or you know you've got cards like strip mine and wasteland and so on which are again you know one and two points so it it flattens the power curve at the top quite a bit I think that's a really good comparison because a lot of the time when people go into Highlander formats, let's say EDH as a good example, Commander, a lot of the time when you're building a competitive deck, and obviously Highlander is a competitive format, when you're building a competitive deck in, say, EDH, you realise that almost all the cards are the same. You play a blue deck, you play a, a you know red deck or whatever it is, the staples that are in them, you're playing Insurrection in red, you're playing Insurrection. If you're playing blue, then you're definitely playing Rhystic Study. You know, there's these cards that you just have to play. And when you... Not to mention staples like Soul Ring. Like, is there an EDH deck out there that doesn't play Perfect Soul Ring? Example. If so, it's mostly because they probably lost yeah, it. <laughs> exactly right. And I think that is one of the allures of, of Highlander is that di- you get diversity in decks solely because you have to make critical decisions. You, if you had an EDH format where Soul Ring had a limitation on it and you could only play it if you forewent some other staples, then you start to get a better idea of what Highlander is like in terms of balancing out that that top-end power level and inc- increasing the level of creativity that you have with your deck choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, 
a lot of these Highlander formats have a banned list instead. So a restricted list is obviously pointless because everything's already restricted, but they have a banned list. So you'll see in things like German Highlander or European Highlander, whichever you prefer to call it, that they've got this list of cards like Soul Ring and the Moxes, which are banned because otherwise everyone would just mm. play them all the time. Whereas the points list means you get to have... Everyone still gets to play any card they want to play that you know isn't an anti-card or chaos orb, basically. You just can't play them all at once. So getting into the points list a little bit yep. deeper, now the name of the format may be a little bit of a hint, but you are only allowed to play up to seven points worth of cards in any particular 60 cards for your deck. That also includes your sideboard, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so you can side cards out. You can start with a point card in the sideboard. All of that's pretty rare <laughs> and probably a mistake. <laughs> We'll link to the points list in the show notes, I have no doubt. Maybe let's give the audience a little taste of the kinds of cards that you might see at one point. We're not going to read them all out, but this is just yep. uh, for you can do a little bit of a search afterwards. But some of the examples are cards like Balance is one point. Birthing Pod, which has seen play in some, you know, pretty much every format, you know, even in Legacy in Nick Fit, but it's banned in Modern. And crop rotation gets you a lot of versatility with finding things. So tutors end up being pointed because it reduces the, the some of the decision trees in your deck. It makes these deterministic lines where your deck plays out the same way every time. We want to reduce that in Highlander so that it's not always so uh, simple and deterministic with every single game. You have some variability, but you also have some consistency. Other one-point cards include things like Fast Bond, which are just broken on the surface, and Jason Mind Sculptor, which is a powerful finisher and glue that holds your deck together, uh, all the way through to powerful Storm cards like Wheel of Fortune and Yorgmos Bargain. So when you build your deck, you'll have to make a choice out of even just those one point cards whether you're the kind of deck that can afford to play wheel of fortune yorgmos bargain and time twister and black lotus which is a four point card or whether you're this kind of storm deck that wants to play black lotus and yorgmos will so there are these critical decisions and they're just a couple of examples of one point three point and four point cards but as vance was saying we get a choice of seven so yeah, the one-point cards are mostly things that are individually powerful, but not completely busted. Like, they're very, very strong cards. At two points, you tend to see... So Channel is a sort of archetypal two-point card that is incredibly powerful and a bit of an engine card of what a lot of the twos are. Some of them are also just, you know, really efficient fast mana. Your threes are the best fast mana available, so Moxes and Sol Ring. Tutors and handful of cards that are just unsafe with other mm -hmm. things so tinker yogmoth will and your four point cards are you know essentially the three best cards ever printed black lotus ancestral recall and time vault because you know they're pretty good <laughs> absolutely just a little bit just a little bit so a lot of the beauty of this is that seven points does give you quite a bit of flexibility in your deck building because if you want to just play say the sort of blue black deck that i like to play then my deck is really going to run uh, a whole bunch of one-point cards because I want each of those. I want to have a good chance of drawing something that's just pr pretty powerful but isn't inherently too broken. But something like Storm might instead choose to invest its points in a couple of tutors that let them go off on a particular turn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so one of the other things that the points list does is it gives you more variety between decks in the same archetype than you might see in, in other formats. So if you look at a deck like Zoo, you've got through two main ways of building mm. it. So option one, which is the one I prefer, is you play a couple of Moxes and then either Wasteland or Jit. 
depending on your metagame. Option two is you do something like you say, hey, I'd like to play Skullclamp and Stoneforge Mystic and Wasteland and Stripmine and whatever. And all of those choices push your deck down different paths for other things. Mm. So if you've decided you want to play Stoneforge Mystic, then having a Batterskull on the sideboard is suddenly a quite attractive option. It forces all these sort of very interesting deck building decisions because Highland is a really good format for people who enjoy brewing and tinkering with decks because you have lots of levers to push yeah i think that that zoo example is really good where you're going am i going mox zoo or small zoo whether i'm going big zoo or skull clamp zoo they're all zoo but actually they play out so fundamentally differently it might suit your play style to play one or the other and i think another good comparison is uh, grixis control which is one of the premier control decks in the format uh, which there are many obviously but this one's the big one at the moment we have seen a lot of different evolutions of it and a, lot, a couple of the cards are the same, but a lot of the time, something like four or five points can differ quite dramatically between the control decks. Some like to run Ancestral Recall for four points. Others uh, like to run the aforementioned Dig Through Time, Snapcaster Mage, Treasure Cruise combination out of four total. And sometimes people like to ran, run either Mana Drain or Mind Twist. So there's even diversity in control decks that fundamentally should play out the same way, right? You know, control the early game, establish, then take over. But actually, they like to play around and get to that, that end point in a very different way. So as Van said, the uh, there will be a link to the points list in the show notes when you find out how we're going to post up this podcast. Um, so we do yeah. encourage you to take a, take a quick look and uh, see, see what cards are pointed, how they're pointed. And often just looking at the list can be a little bit of inspiration for getting, getting a deck list started. But since we're talking about the points, who actually decides which cards get points and uh, how many points they get? There's a group of four people, so myself, Isaac Egan, Luke Mulcahy, and Glenn Doyle, who form the points committee. We... Please note that uh, the committee is with capital T and capital C. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. So we stay in contact with each other and then every couple of months, it used to be the same date that Wizards did ban and restricted changes, but then Wizards started futzing around with that. So it's the day after each pre-release, we'll put something out to the community, usually via the Facebook group, and say, you know, these are the decisions we've made. And what we tend to do is we'll talk to everyone who has an opinion that they would like to give us about what point should change. We'll sort of percolate that, discuss it amongst ourselves, and that's broadly speaking the process. We look at results from recent large events, and obviously we're not talking, you know, one of the problems we have with, with the data is we're not talking about GP-sized events. Big for Highlander is 70 or 80 people. But for a format that's not officially supported, 70 or 80 people's... I think really one of the biggest challenges for us as a, as a format that started in Australia is that getting... 70 or 80 people to an event for any supported format is generally a pretty that's a huge event I for think, us i so think it's yeah i think it speaks it's... to the strengths of the format that so many people want to play it that we actually get events that large at all i put in to put in perspective that's larger than the average vintage event in australia the you know national vintage events often end up being around that 40 mark or, or sometimes you know 45 or 50 or 60 in the past highland has always beaten vintage in terms of attendance absolutely uh, that's been my experience as well and and one of the reasons going back to the nature of the format is highland is not a budget format there are decks that play multiple moxes but compared to Vintage, it's definitely a lot cheaper because you don't need seven or eight pieces of power. You need the most you can possibly play is two at the moment. So that's reducing your price. And then even compared to Legacy, like in Legacy, uh, if you're playing a control deck, you might be playing four Underground Seas and four Volcanics. And that's probably worth more than your average Highlander deck, even at the high end, <laughs> because yeah, really... you only need 
one. That's it. They, that's right. You only need one. I think budget is a really good topic in terms of Highlander. If you play on a budget in Vintage, then unless you have a really good run on a really good day when your null rods happen to line up nicely against the particular opponents you need to play against, you probably won't really consistently perform very well. When you are on a budget in Highlander, if you build your deck in a certain way, you mitigate the cost of a budget and you actually build a very, very strong deck and maybe borrow one $100 card. But other than that, the rest of your deck can be, you know, ranging between 10 to uh, 20 30 $40 per card down to 20 cents. And those critical decisions you made did not mean you're making an error and playing a strictly worse deck, unlike in Vintage. You don't have to run super lucky on a particular day just to have your deck line up in a certain way because you happen to be a taxing deck and that's the only way you can really perform in, in Vintage on a budget. You can build really cool, zany, wacky, or really consistent tempo-y decks and perform well. Highland is just like that. Two other examples. If you play non-mox zoo, you've got to get yourself a Tiger, a Savannah, and a Plateau, yep. which are, I don't know, 100 to $120 mm -hmm. each, I think. And other than that, nothing in the deck's going to cost you more than about 10 yeah. bucks. Similarly, for something like Elves, Gaia's Cradle's a barrier to entry, absolutely, but after Gaia's Cradle, the next card is unlikely to be much over yeah. 50. And then, you know, you might have two or three of that range and then the next card's probably... And you build the 74, you build that 74, you jam that in a couple of tournaments, you borrow your guy's cradle from, from a mate for a year or two and then eventually you, you can trade into or win a cradle and then suddenly you've got a full 75. But with Vintage, it's not like that. You need to win every single piece of power. Yeah, absolutely. People who have play sets of cards are also like, when they're going to go and play Highlander, they've got the availability of cards to be able to lend things out. And obviously it does depend on the generosity of the format and not everybody is going to be willing to lend you a, a mox or something unless they know you and trust you. But that sense of community is a lot of how this format has gone from being something that started back in the 90s to a format that's played Australia-wide and gets events at GPs and other large events. Talking about people sharing is a good point because you can be in a position where you've got one friend who's got a good legacy collection or a vintage collection. That's probably enough to build decks for you know an eight player event because you split the jewels up if you have power you can put power in a couple of those decks the, most of the rest of the cards you're going to want uh, well, a lot of the rest of the cards you're going to want to be getting you know things that someone with a modern collection would have and then suddenly you've got a, a whole event's worth of decks out of a handful of definitely people. i think there's from, from the perspective of someone who lends out cards i i'm perfectly fine with lending one person for volcanic island so that they can compete in the local legacy tournament but i'm even more stoked when i can lend one volcanic island to four different people and they can all compete in highlander it just makes the attendance so good yeah absolutely and it's i'm just going to go back to what you said on how sometimes you can jump into highlander with just having like even a modern deck uh standard's probably going to be a little bit harder to make the jump from but, um, but modern does have a lot of the powerful cards that see play in Highlander. I've started building my own blue-black deck. I'm about 95% of the way there. And a lot of it was cards that I was like, I've I've had these because I play blue-black and Grixis and Esper Control in modern a fair bit. And, oh, wow, a Tassica? Yeah, I've got mm. one of those. I've got a Dig Through Time. I've, <laughs> I was going to say Treasure Cruise, but that is not a modern legal card. 
but it actually made the the switch over to playing a very similar strategy in Highlander definitely possible and, and not too backbreaking. The couple of cards that I'm missing, I tend to just borrow if I need them, and I'm slowly earning the the tournament winnings to be able to purchase that tropical island. Yeah, um, given given that nature, that, but I'll I will eventually. Yeah, get given there. given the nature of the format, just like what uh, you guys have both uh, attested to is when you look at accessibility, you look at modern and you go, okay, I need to borrow my place at a Tamagoyfs or my place at a Jason Mind Sculptor or my place at a Liliana the Veil, whatever it is, the accessibility of modern, even though it's highly played, is arguably less accessible than Highlander when you can build your Highlander deck out of a bunch of chaff and some rotated cards and some other things that are easy easy to find. And then you just need to locate that, okay, well, there's that, that one bayou I need to borrow and that one scrubland I need to borrow. And I would argue more accessible than modern. Same as we've already said the accessibility over vintage. And then we've also said the accessibility by borrowing not play sets over legacy. And then plus, you just see cards in Highlander style decks, and this applies to both Commander and Seven Point Highlander, and our distant cousin Canadian Highlander across the ocean. The variety that you see also means that, at least in my mind, games that just tend to be more memorable. Well, there's not too many formats in Magic that you get to play Titania. And have her be not just a very interesting and fun card to play with but at at times become a a hotly contested card as to whether she should be pointed or not and you do get a lot of cards out of things like with the various commander decks and those kind of products and conspiracy which absolutely highlander all-stars you know you've got i mean as you said titania true name nemesis scavenging ooze when it originally came out leovold who you know is the bane of my existence (laughs) you're telling me you see you get to play all of these cool interesting cards that are printed for commander in a format that's not quite quite as difficult to get into as vintage the other thing on the variety front though is uh, as you were saying millie every game of highlander is different so you're playing a deck and if you're playing a deck like zoo in modern you'd be playing four wild macaddles and four curd apes and whatever in this you're playing a wild macaddle because it's the only one you can you're playing four curd apes but they're all slightly different curd apes to each other and they're all <laughs> slightly better and worse in different situations you've got Curd Ape and Bloom Lion, which are basically the same as each other. You've got Sky Shroud Elite, I think yeah, is the card I'm thinking right. of, which is a Curd Ape if your opponent controls a non-basic. And you've got Narnum Renegade from uh, Kaladesh, which is, it's got Revolt that gets plus one, plus two, and it's got Death Touch. So sometimes it's much better than a Curd Ape, sometimes it's quite a bit worse. And it also makes looking through new sets more interesting, because there's cards that, I mean, Narnum Renegade's not good enough for, for modern play or, or further back. And it's not good enough for standard play for different reasons. So you get sort of another angle of attack at which you can find new cards which are useful in a format that you enjoy playing. Absolutely. I think the parallel would be for blue decks is the uh, starting the base of your card selection and cantripping. You go, okay, I'm going to go one Brainstorm, yeah. one Preordain, one Ponder. Now, do I want to play some more? Okay, I want one Gitaxian Probe, uh, one Serum Visions, and one Sleight of Hand. Oh, do I want to keep going? Okay, maybe I have to go up the chain and get an Impulse. Whatever whatever you're doing, the, the selection that you're making is going, I'm going to go in a singleton format, and I'm going to try and make myself as consistent as possible. In Zoo, I'm going to have as many Curd Apes as possible. In Blue, I'm going to have as many Preordains as possible. And then the rest of it, when it comes to finishes, you go, okay, well, I need to finish the game. I'll have a Jace the Mind Sculptor, a Kess, 
Prince, Dissident Mage, and a Torrential Gear Hulk. And then the games play out totally different. Even though you've got the glue that looks the same, it looks like, okay, I'm card filtering, I'm going to find the things. Uh, wait, is this a game I have to finish with Gear Hulk? Oh, wait, it turns out they got a Pyroblast. Oh, that didn't line up really well. And it's just one of those really, really cool idiosyncrasies of Highlander formats where when it's competitive, you try and streamline as much as possible. But because it's Highlander, you have streamlining and you have variability. It's really cool. Even though there is variability and that's what, me- that's what makes it fun, there is definitely still a meta for Highlander. That's why we do, like, they are first to two win matches, technically, and we do have a 15-card sideboard. And there are relevant decisions to be made in that, in that sideboard for what matchups you expect. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that Highlander has, because it's a 60-card deck, 15-card sideboard, is the decks feel more like to me at least they feel more like real magic decks mm. so your mana curve looks the same as your mana curve in modern you can go and look at a frank carson article and say all right this is how many one drops i want to play sweet cool and all of your maths that other people have worked out over the years mm. works perfectly and you still get that variety that you get in you know, commander and whatever but your variance is not quite as high because you know 100 cards is a lot more variance than 60 so you get these sort of fun games where you've got to play around a variety of possible outs but they still play similarly to each other just not quite as similarly as in something like modern where you've got four of everything Alrighty. well i think that's been about half an hour of us trying to introduce the format and sell you on its best points and why we all play so i think we'll wrap up our first episode there what we'll do is in the show notes we'll chuck in a couple of links to some video footage of some highlander decks in action having a go at each other trying to win a tournament i believe we have some that has commentary as well so if you're not too familiar with the format then you can listen to the commentary and you can get a feel for what relevant cards are what what certain matchups look like that kind of thing and it can be a really good way to sort of start to build some familiarity i like the sound of that uh what are some of the topics we might talk about in the future in our coming episodes so in the next episode we'd like to take a bit more of a deep dive into the different deck archetypes that exist in highlander because as we've mentioned there are different archetypes that you build to there's definitely a meta to this format and we'll also take a look at some jumping on points for the format. So perhaps some budget oh, yeah, options or some ways to convert decks from, from other formats into a Highlander deck. And maybe not next episode, but at some point in the future, we'll get into some options for how to get some Highlander events started at your local game store. Because that's always going to be the way to build up a community is to get some games played at your local store. Sweet. I'm excited. Uh, And I think in an episode or two after that, we'll probably also have a bit of a chat about some potentially interesting cards from the Dominaria spoiler. And probably at about the same time, we'll be able to talk about a points change, which will be potentially happening around that time. So lots to discuss. Should be fun. It is always an exciting time whenever a new set comes out for all formats. But I do like combing through the, the spoilers that we get at the, right before a set comes out and being like, this is a cool card, but like, could I play this in Ooh, my life? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that feeling. Especially when people go, why are you trading for that? And I go, I just wanted this Highlander. <laughs> looks unplayable. Oh, you never know. It might be might Yeah, be they go, it looks unplayable. No, no, no. You, you don't know, know Highlander. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, right. So thank you for your time. And uh, thank you so much for listening to us, dear audience. I hope this has been a good episode. We'll find a way to for you guys to give us give us some feedback. Wherever we post this, we'll, we'll drop a link there to where you can give us some feedback. Or if you're already in the Seven Point Highlander Facebook group, you can drop us a comment there. 
Or if you know any of us, we are around There is a Seven Point Highlander Discord. Or you could probably message us if you happen to know us. So um, with that, this is Millie signing off. See you guys. Thanks, everyone.